Hey, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Hey, Mickey. Hey, Mickey. Helia. Mikhaev. Soup man or just Mickey? Three goals, two games, including the game-winning goal on the power play. Yes, Jack Campbell. Yes, Austin Matthews. Yes, Tavares, Nylander, but Mikheyev stepping up. Mm-hmm. Do you guys remember that song? Yeah, I do. Uh, you know what? There's oh, yeah. definitely it's, def- it's got a part in some movie that's going to make it live on forever. What what movie is that for? In I don't know. No idea. No. Oh, huh. I, don't I think know. It's maybe like we got to change one, it though. One of our listeners can let us know. Maybe, maybe we like should change the movie? the lyric from uh, "Blow My Mind" to "Blow the Twine." What do you think? <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> we have Weird Al Yankovic wow. on uh, on the show here today doing parodies. I love it. So That's we got McKayev uh, conversation. We can go to Nick Ritchie on waivers. Edmonton still in a hole. Uh, we can talk about the lack of energy last night. And again, nothing to do with the Leafs. The Leafs are getting the job done. They're getting the W's. They're, their best players are delivering here. Uh, but plenty to get out of last night. Where do you guys want to start? Well, I think, you know, I do want to talk about the hockey game, but the the thing that has my attention right now is Nick Ritchie's on waivers, Kipper. What do you think of that? Not overly surprised, uh, based Not, where, eh? where things were heading with, with Nick Ritchie. Uh, I look at this, and we've, we've spoken on this topic for probably a good week now, that they've got cap issues. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have long-term IR to, to bail you out, it becomes a serious juggling act. And right now, Nick Ritchie is probably their easiest decision to put on waivers. This isn't necessarily, well, it is indirectly for sure, a reflection of just the, the lost value that you you have with Nick Ritchie. But I, I look at this, and, and the first thing that comes to my mind is that uh, this is, this is ca- all about cap flexibility. Yeah, we had it in our group chat. We were all talking about it. the first thing you said was cap jail. And, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense, right? You, you put this guy in the minors and all of a sudden you free up. Uh, what is it? 1.2 million or whatever. You, you, the most you 1. can bury him. 1.125 is the most you can bury. 1.125. Yeah. That's very helpful, Sam. Thank yeah. you. Which is a ton today. Yeah. Yes. That's a good hockey player, <laughs> you know, in itself, let alone uh, what else you can do with it. And uh, frankly, they need that space not to add another hockey player, but to get the good ones they have in the lineup at the same time with Jake Muzzin returning. Yeah. So do you so, think the next question is, does he get claimed? That's exactly what I was going to ask. That I, they would... I don't think so. Uh, mm. I, I probably have it at, 75 25 that he does not get claimed i don't know how many teams would be interested in in nick ritchie and again if if nick ritchie didn't have 2.5 million on the cap next year for sure he gets claimed for sure that one holds teams back Well, you so, know, I'm trying to think of like what kind of team. Sorry, Sammy. I was trying to think of what kind of team would want a guy like Nick Ritchie. And it's, 
you know, he's a young guy. Not not that he's, you know, like a prospect, but I'm saying he's 25, I think. Like, he's in the middle of his career. You're getting his best years. Big guy, some offensive upside. So many teams looking for NHL guys. Like, I, I think someone would want him. But again, the numbers you're talking about, it just it, it's so important to have an efficient contract now, and he his contract is really inefficient. I, I got one team off the top of my head. Arizona? No. The New York Rangers. Ooh, really? Think about, think about, uh, you know, pre Gerard Gallant and and now. They mm-hmm. wanted to go in a different direction. Uh, the team toughness, the Ryan Reeves signing, the Sammy Blay. Remember? I forgot he was there. Yeah, yeah. Heavy guy, plays a hard game. Lost for the season. Yeah. And he had a little bit of offense to him, you know, something yeah. like Richie. So does, does do the Rangers say, uh, you know, we're we're better than we thought. We probably could use, a, we like the big and heavy feeling. Do we get bigger and heavier moving forward with Nick Richie? That, that to me is the, the type of team that maybe wouldn't mind gambling it. The problem is, is, Again, Nick Ritchie's fine for this year for the New York Rangers. Where the Rangers get in trouble is next year when Fox and Zibanejad jump to their 8-plus and their 9-plus a year. Now, all of a sudden, I'm not sure what 2.5 means to the New York Rangers or most other teams by then. But but is he at that point more movable there's one year on the deal if you offer to tape something to them you know it's maybe not too bad to get rid of you know if you're thinking we're going to take a shot at it this year i'm looking now they got nine million dollars in cap space like they have room for the guy this year you're right the issue is is next year but here's what i've been dying to say since i saw the elliot friedman news uh and, and was thinking about this how is nick Ritchie, 30 games into his toronto maple leafs career on waivers, it's January, about to go to the minors, not had more than, what do you have, one fight? Like, he didn't even give it a, a, a crack at finding a way to be useful to this team in a physical way. Like, fine if it wasn't going to work in the top six, but you had to find a way to be relevant. How's he go? I think it's one. I, I should look it up because I was just thinking about it, but I think he's fought one time. But I'm glad you said that because when Kipper was talking about the potential for the Rangers looking at a physical guy, it's like, we've barely seen that. I mean, if the yeah. Rangers have pro scouts. Like, I know he's supposed to be a physical guy, but they're they're watching games. They know what he... Like, I haven't Guys, seen much of it. I, I can't I can't argue that. I, I really can't. And JB, just, you know, you, you just before the show started, we had a quick conversation. You're like, you know him, you like him. And I'm like, uh, and I, I think you probably got the sense that I'm, I'm pulling for him or Yeah, I do. You know, I, was, I I'm, I'm trying to see more out of him that's not there. And I can't disagree with you. And yeah. the answer is no, I don't know him. I've never met yeah. him. I've never had a conversation with him. But there is a part of me and maybe it's just a reflection on myself who once upon a time came out of junior hockey, one of the best goal scorers and had to find another role to stick around. And then find myself in in the biggest game of probably the last 30 years, New York Rangers game seven against the Vancouver Canucks. 
And yeah, there might be a part of me pulling for Nick Ritchie. Absolutely. But it also is me hoping that he gets it, that he is not the top 10 pick overall right now. Mm -hmm. He is more me than he is that that player once upon a time. But listen, I I give you the utmost credit. Like, you know, I don't care what they say about you, Nick. You're a smart guy. Like you, you, you recognized that there, you know, to be relevant, to get into those big games, stay in the league, you had to do certain things. If Nick Ritchie, and I'm not saying he needs to go out there and fight, the game has changed. He doesn't need to fight 10 times a year, but he at least needs to be the threat of being a fighter. The way that Wayne Simmons, say what you will about him, whatever you think, he's a threat. People think he'll fight him. No one thinks Nick Ritchie wants to. So he's just got to find a way to, to stay in the league. You know, he's a contract away. Now his next next one's going to be for minimum and maybe a two-way. So I, I, this is going to feel really weird because okay. I'm supposed to be the dinosaur and you guys are the next wave, <laughs> smart, young guy. And I'm yeah. now going to tell you that this is 2021. You don't have to fight anymore in the league. It's gone. <laughs> Can you believe I'm yes. telling you this? No, it's I mean, gone. He this is not what people came to, to the show to hear anymore. He, <laughs> and, and if he does it once or twice a season, that's not how I look at Nick Ritchie any longer. This is the okay. way I see it long term for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Is that you guys want to win the Stanley Cup? You want to win four rounds. You don't want to make the playoffs, and you don't want to just get out of the first round. You want to win the whole damn thing. Mm-hmm. And I know. I don't care what area you're in, pre-cap or post. You need to believe in 23 or 24 guys of your roster at any time. And again, I am a perfect example of that. I played in 94 in the first round, and then I sat around, and I found myself in a game seven. So if Nick Ritchie has to be that guy that bounces up and down the lineup and plays for the Marlies and gets called back up, but somewhere between April and I hope June, if we're down 2-1 and we're getting run at, that I want to pull a Nick Ritchie into the lineup a lot more than I want to go to the Marlies and get Hosang. Oh, I know. And actually, it's a really interesting thought exercise here is like, if Nick Ritchie is in the minors, when is the official day that salary cap goes away? Is it after the trade deadline or trade, is it the... did, tra- trade deadline? So, like, can you bury a guy that day? I, I don't know how it works exactly. Yeah, Manhattan. you can. You can. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so yeah, it's you can because he'll get through. He'll get through at that time, I think. So. You know, maybe he spends some time in the minors. You put him down there at the deadline, and he's a guy that you like to have because we are in agreement that he's a useful guy. Just you know, whether or not he's scoring, whether or not he's fighting, I've been up against guys like Nick Ritchie where I don't want to take a hit from him because I know that guy at 235 can hurt me, and it just may be one hit I may need between now and and June and I'd rather I'd rather have that if I'm Kyle Dubas I'd rather have a, a something like that in the bullpen if I need it at all 
and it, it, it speaks to depth. And I am in 100% agreement with you that this guy, for whatever reason, since the moment his professional career started, picks his spots or plays sleepy. But I just know that there, there aren't that many guys out there that are that big, that heavy, that may influence a game just by mere, you know, by stepping on the ice and hitting somebody. And yeah, you can only have so many five foot ten skilled guys out there. And if he just really accepts and adapts to a fourth line mentality, it can be very useful down the road for the Leafs. Nick Ritchie is, for what it's worth, 35th in the NHL in hits. He's tied with Blake Coleman. You know, he's in among those guys. So to your point, like, he does a thing. There is a thing that he does if, you know, as long as I, I not, not $2.5 million worth. JB, I, I'm 35th. Yes. That blows my mind. That, that's like, I, I would have never guessed that. I'm like, he's, he's not he, even on the, the ice Leafs. long enough anymore. <laughs> that's, no, he... that's a significant number for me. Yeah, he, uh, let's see if I can do it per 60 here. But anyway, yeah, no, he, so he's like, he runs into people or he's trying to anyway. So, um, but we were, we were hoping to touch on that quick. Do we want to go back to the hockey game last night? Well, or? just, uh, yeah, uh, Mikheyev, uh, just what are you seeing right. out of him? And uh, just y- your thoughts overall in terms of the added depth that he gives your, your, yeah. your 40 plus million dollars out of the four guys. Well, uh, don't take it from me. Take it from Sheldon Keefe, who had this to say. I'm going to say this in slow motion, in hopes of getting a qu- throwing to a clip correctly after the game. Oh, man, I'm so bad at this. <laughs> Can we get the Sheldon Ke- uh, Ke- Keefe clip on uh, Ilya Mikheyev, please? Well, he makes us a better team. There's no question about that. Um, and it's not just because he scored here. You know, we we known that. You know, as long as Mickey's been with us, makes us a deeper team, makes us a better team. Uh, thought he had a great camp and a great preseason. Was taking advantage of any of the additional opportunities, uh, opportunities that we were giving him. And then uh, it's nice to see that continue here. You know, because he had such a good camp, we wanted to try to get him off to a good start here and, and uh, try to pick up where he left off. Uh, so that's why we've you know we've had him right away you know, take a spot on the power play um, and get some minutes that way. So it's, I, I don't think it could have worked out any better in terms of him getting the production here early to give him a boost, you know, after such a long layoff. The skating is something to be seen because he is flat out from A to B, one of the quickest guys in the league. Like He's he can long, flat out fly. Long strides, I know. If he can add a little bit of a scoring touch, like we've seen the last two games, to Sheldon's point, that makes him pretty dangerous and valuable. Yeah. Well, he he's that threat. And I, I actually think of the postseason where random guys score goals. He's always a threat to score. You know, and, and I don't think he's suddenly going to develop this uh, this touch or these – He's got no deception to his shot, but li- listen, you know, against Ottawa, it goes through Matt Murray's seven hole. You know, he, he has a seeing eye shot. If you have a guy who gets enough chances and shoots it, you know, bangs it at the net enough, it's going to go in sometimes. So uh, a couple went in for him, and c- certainly it's – I hope they don't get too high on what his offensive ability is and keep it realistic, but nice to see a few go in for the guy. Yeah, and I would say that when you're 
what the goals that he's scored so far. I mean, the one that he came flying in on Murray and and went up uh, upstairs. That was a Mikheyev type dash, but in years past, he would have you know kind of banged that thing into the pad and that wrister that he let go last night. Like, I know it's a small sample size, but I don't feel like I've seen him do those things ever before even like I don't mm. I don't want to say that his like scoring ability is taken a step because that's hard of as a hard thing to take a step it's something you're kind of born with but I really do feel like he has looked different in the three games that we've seen him play maybe the puck's just going in it's puck luck he's lucky but I don't know do you think I'm crazy or does he look different when it comes to having the puck I think uh I think mentally and where he's at right now is he, he thinks he deserves it. He thinks he's the man. Maybe that goes back to his well, that's trade request, guys. But he is the type of guy that thinks, I think, at least from from an internal point of view, he thinks his time is now. Well, and I think, you know, last year, once he gets a dozen shorthanded breakaways and doesn't score, it's like, you know, when you're putting terribly and it's like you're putting at a pinhole, it's like on that breakaway, all you see is pads and gear and goaltender. <laughs> you know, you don't see the net behind him. And I think once if you go in, you know, that that's where your brain is drawn to. You you start to feel good about yourself and, and think differently about your shots. So uh, I'm happy to see him get off to a good start. They're going to give him the opportunity. He is a guy who, who fills them out. Uh, uh, well for depth and when you look at the Oilers like God what would a guy like Mikheyev do for the Oilers is he's such a valuable piece on such a cheap deal and so- and they're going to need him you know the only thing mm-hmm. I, I wonder though again uh, is just the timing out of all of this and it, it looks like he's he's getting himself ready but he it's hard to believe but he hasn't even played a, I don't think he's played a hundred games yet in the NHL and if he's shaping up to be one of those all-important guys here, is is he going to be ready to do it every other night in the playoffs for for two months? Yeah, I think it depends what your expectations of him are. Like last well, year, well, they have to be. Me. I'll tell you what the expectations. He's for me. He's got to turn himself into a a Palat or a Kalorn from Tampa. Those are five, six million I know. dollar players. I, I'm t- but. But those guys are phenomenal support guys yeah, to yeah. the points, the Kucherovs, and the Stamkoses. Mm-hmm. And that's where I have Mickey slated. Hey, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so blunt. Yeah, I, I don't know. Wayne's World, by the way. Wayne's it World, is Wayne's World. World. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And someone also said, someone also said, bring it on. It's in the movie Bring It On, which is a cheerleader movie. So, Thank uh, God I'm referencing too. Wayne's World hey, here, I swear. Can I, can <laughs> that's I say, a, ask you that's guys That's a, a big ask, about, though, isn't it, guys? It is. Yes. But let me ask you this about McKayev. Did his trade request work? It's a great like, question. Like, in terms of I getting him yes. the more reps? I I I think I first of all it's it's again when I listen to Sheldon Keefe it's almost as if we knew this all along this is how much we believed in this guy mm-hmm. so I I don't think that the trade request had anything to do with it and I'll tell you why this guy is UFA at the end of the year so this was, what do you think he is? What do you think he, he's going to be? And if you don't see it my way, I'm walking out the door anyways at the end of the year. So, yeah. I, I just think that 
the value he brings this season for them in a, in a year they they thought they had a chance to win the cup, you're never going to replace that. Like if McKay asked for a trade and wants out, you are not getting that value back for him. So your best chance of winning mm-hmm. a cup is by keeping him happy. So Sam, to your question, I think it did work because I think it put put them in a position where they know they, they have to think of him and keep him happy. I use this example all the time where in the minors, uh, we, you know, Sheldon Keefe wanted to talk to every player on the team throughout the season as much as, as possible on a personal level. He suddenly realized one day he hadn't talked to Zach Hyman in two months because Zach Hyman is such a pro. He takes care of business. He works hard. That's Ilya Mikheyev. He got forgotten at times last year. They just put him over the boards when they needed him. He was not prioritized. He didn't get power play time. And I think this is Mikheyev's way of saying, you can't go two months without thinking of me. I, I, I need some attention. I need some opportunity here too. All right, let's That's a great point, Borny. Let's welcome in Aaron Ward, friend of the show, and uh, a guy that uh, probably has a very long list of of great support players. So, Wardo, when I think of uh, the New York Rangers, uh, the out uh, the guys underneath the stars, uh, I think of Stefan Matteau and Brian Noonan, and you know, is Mikheyev got to turn himself into that type of guy? to be there for the Toronto Maple Leafs when this thing's all said and done. And, and who are some of your uh, teammates that kind of fall into that uh, when you were very successful in your Stanley Cup? So I think the thing for me about Mikheyev is he gets a ton of chances. I think the finish component is what's lacking in his game. So when you start to almost pass him by, and I, I heard you talk about how you know Zach Hyman in his own right was kind of just left alone because you forget guys that don't command a certain level of attention. They just go about their business in a workmanlike manner, and, and they're not glitzy and they're not glamoury, but when you finally come down to it, you see that they've, they've contributed on a level that is, is tangible stat-wise, but you know the role that the team understands. They play for the continuity component. Mikheyev, to me, I think is, is a guy that over time is, is developing the ability to get himself in places to score. I think what, what lacks for him is the, the ultimate finish, and we all know that this is a, a delivery league, and the more you finish, the more attention you're going to get. So um, support guys, for me, I got, when I think of support guys, I think more about the guys that did a lot of dirty work and not necessarily kind of looked at from, a, from an offensive capacity. Like from 06, the most valuable guys on my team when we won the Cup that didn't get the attention and were underestimated and probably not even talked about were the current GM of, of uh, the Buffalo Sabres, Kevin Adams, and Craig Adams. And the reason why was they did absolutely every job that every player on our team did not want to do from, from a forward perspective. Like Kevin Adams broke his arm in the final game of game seven against Edmonton, diving it like headfirst diving in front of a puck, trying to stop pronger shot. What you knew about them, the two guys didn't weigh over 200 pounds, but were, were willing to fight anybody in the National Hockey League. Those are the guys that have to be present because they almost – set a tone or, or put an onus on everybody else in the locker room, knowing what their contract situation is or not making near the money, knowing the ice time uh, they, they don't get, they still, no matter what presented opportunity is given to them, they maximize it. And so I think that's, that's really for me what the support guys are. Well, and it's a striking difference when you watch the Leafs and Oilers play about the support guys and the value that the Leafs guys have had. You know, I did some quick stat work on that. Their bottom six is 77 points, and and Edmonton's has like 19. You know, can Edmonton fix that? Is there, is there, I mean, I understand that 
uh, you know, you can always make trades, but internally, can these guys find a way to just be more valuable contributors? Because right now, McDavid and Dreisaitl just seem like they're dying on a vine there without the type of help the Leafs stars have. Yeah, well, I'll even say this. I'd, I'd say that Toronto, for me, is, is a, is a three-line group with Spezza that kind of fits in, in in different areas. I mean, if you look at yesterday's game, it was, I think it was 8-6-5. and five. So Spezza played eight minutes. Uh, Simmons had five. I think Richie had six. So you look at the numbers and how it's distributed. You've got a team in Edmonton that, that does want to conceptually roll things and, and move up and down the line. You don't want to put the onus solely on, on McDavid. The issue is Edmonton is still Edmonton. And when I talk about Edmonton still being Edmonton, it's the same Edmonton from three, four, five years ago that they've clearly improved and it majorly improved in some facets of the game. Right? You look at, the, at, at the, the front end and you're like, wow, this, this, this should blow you away. The problem, identity-wise, is you know some guys come out and say McDavid has to change his game. It's not McDavid who needs to change his game. It's the team around him. The team has to be supportive in the capacity. They have to have a formidable identity, and they don't do it. And the problem is you can't have Darnell Nurse play 30-plus games a night because essentially that's what it dictates. And Nurse is actually not as always playing consistently great for, for the Edmonton Oilers. Duncan Keith isn't going to resolve the, the, the situation. Uh, so when you start to look at how things pair up and the continuity on the back end, yes, goaltending has been an Achilles heel, but it's not as like the, the, the decor has done great things. So if I'm a forward, and, I'm, and again, I, I, always, I always know it's about forwards when, when they start to see that the decor is failing them both in getting the puck but in, 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 in coverage also, I have a tendency to step off the gas pedal. And Edmonton not, cannot be a gas pedal team the problem is Edmonton is still the team from three years ago that tries to outscore the mistakes. And now, in light of not being able to put up those, those points, and McDavid's now out of the lineup, you've got you've to find something. So either you capitalize in this moment, like a lot of teams are. Some teams are failing around the National Hockey League and they're platooning new guys in the American Hockey League. Now it's an opportunity maybe for Edmonton to shuffle up lines because McDavid's not there mm-hmm. at the expense of trying to figure out, like, what is it you're going to do if you manage to make the playoffs? How are you going to adapt your game to something that's competitive and consistent? So, Wardo, I've got a little bit of a pet theory here, and I want to get your take on it. The, the idea that McDavid and Dreisaitl are so good that when the players come there to be depth guys, they know it's not about them. They know they're just support. Like, they, all, they show up as passengers. Could there be anything to the mindset that it's just like, okay, that's our team, I just have to get by, you know, uh, whereas in other teams, you have guys vying for more ice time and opportunity and, and, and trying to lead the charge a bit. Is it that those guys could be so good, these guys just know they don't have to do it, they could be passengers? Uh, I can compare it maybe to what I, was, what I experienced when I was in Detroit. I mean, if you look at the, the years that we won the Cup, 96, 97, 97, 98, there was a level of competition amongst all lines to get the ice time because we had so much. So if you look at the McDavid and Dreisaitl and there's almost a default mentality that I just have to do my job and, and that's enough, maybe that, that's where the change has to happen. And that's yeah. where I go back to what my last answer was, you've got to shake things up because clearly being complacent, sitting where you are and just saying, well, eventually they'll work it, they'll work it out, it's not going to work itself out. Teams are starting to adapt. There's enough body of work that you can draw upon from, from video analytics, from, from players understanding by just sitting there and watching NHL Network and the highlights that you have the ability not to neutralize these guys because we look at the McDavid and Dreisaitl highlights every single night, but, but you can adapt your game to limit them just a little bit more. So somehow in Edmonton, a mentality has to be created by Tippett 
or somebody, whether it's a leadership group there, that more has to be given. And I, I like, like, I know it's it's bad topic conversation. I'm gone from, from Edmonton, but clearly Toronto, I mean, from, from Toronto, but clearly Toronto surviving. Hyman going there, to me, was almost like a safety blanket that, that set a bad standard for everybody else in there. Now, now you bring in a guy that's supposed to be responsible, right? Hyman, theoretically, is, is the presence that they all have to have now. That you can allow McDavid and Drysaddle to be themselves uh, un, unstopped, like w- without limitations, if the rest of the team can try and give more. But I, I do agree with your theory that I think sometimes they're just trying to, they're trying to escape with, with just uh, little damage. And when you get to adversity like they, they have now, guys are just like, I mean, they're not existent. They're almost absent in the ice that, that you, you watch these games and you think, okay, Edmonton's going to be competitive. They're going to try and raise up their game. Toronto's setting a standard. You know, they've, they've, they've been incredible the last 10-plus games. They're on a, on a streak. Let's see if Edmonton can measure up. Right? Is, is Edmonds can be drawn into the competitive nature of the game? It lasted for a period, and then it just kind of waned off. And, yeah, McDavid's gone, but the team, this is why it's a team game. There has to be more there. So here's the good news if I'm looking at Edmonton. Having been a player under Kenny Holland, and you can remember back to, I think it was 99, Kenny's not afraid to make big, bold moves. In one year, he brought in Wendell Clark, Samuelson, and Chelios. Now, we, we weren't successful. But it sent a message to the team that not only were we going for a run, but everybody's job was up for, for, for negotiation. So I think that's one of the things that Kenny Holland has to do. He has to, he has to unsettle that group of players in both the security job-wise, but in terms of even, even being with his team. There's still time to make major changes. But he wasn't in cap jail. So what's the well, most yeah, likeliest? Yeah. Well, uh... Again, I, I kind of glossed over that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but but you know, Wardle, what what's the most likely scenario for Ken Holland that he he, as you said, maybe uh, allows Tippett to shuffle uh, the chairs uh, on the deck, uh, a, a trade, or a coaching change. So, I, I think that the the unfortunate part for Dave Tippett is you have a body of work one province over that that screams something that. Maybe you've got a group of players sitting in a locker room that are neutralized in terms of almost numb to, to playing the game the way they should because they realize with this adversity is a likelihood that changes are coming. And if it's not in the locker room, it could be in the coaching end. So it's either a Kenny Holland endorsement of a coach to say he's not going anywhere, the players have to figure it out, or he makes that change. I do believe trade-wise, like Mike Smith being in out as much as he, as he has, there's a lack of consistency between the pipes for a team. I think the settling component always, whether it's in, in season during struggles or when you go into the playoffs, that certainty and the reliability of having a great goalie is, is essential. I, I think they really have to look. And what's out there, I'm not exactly sure. Like I, I was kind of thinking to myself that if Tuka Rask gets in his PTO – well, this is prior to him signing it. If Tuka Rask didn't get the interest from Boston, I imagine there's a ton of suitors that'd be willing to do anything they could to get him in there. Maybe Holtby. I mean, I know that uh, Columbus might be willing to part with a goalie. There's a, there's a litany of teams that I think aren't exactly sure where their future's at and, and can definitely make some changes now. And, and maybe Edmonton can right the ship. But I don't know if there's one answer. 
I think it's a multitude because it's it's kind of toxic right now. The guys can't quite get themselves out, and it is a blow to come to the largest Canadian market, play a game against uh, one of the most revered organizations in, in the National Hockey League and come up flat, again, continuing your, your failures. I, I do think there's something to the idea that, like, when you're a team that's flailing and you know a change is coming, the longer you're held in that, like, suspended state, the worse it is for the team. Like, make the change and let's go. You know, the Canucks yeah. seem to be waiting for that a while back. So, uh, Well, let's, yeah, let's, I, let's ask a question. Let's honestly ask the question about Vancouver. What do you think Boudreaux did there? Showed up with a good attitude and a fresh start. With, with an allowance for every guy in that locker room, even though it was such a negative place, to audition for their job again. It's a reset. Yeah. So for the guys that were actually, and there weren't that many guys playing well, it, it's a relief. You don't have to answer that set of questions that every single day. Kepper, I mean, think about it. I mean, you played on teams where you knew the coach was, was gonzo at some point, and you absolutely hated the thought of answering the same questions because how many ways can you answer that question? And you don't want to put yourself in an inferior position by answering a question, and maybe the coach sees it. So Van was stale. Now all of a sudden Boudreaux comes in. I want to say he gave him an identity, but did they? I think they just paid a little bit more attention to detail because they wanted to impress the coach, and, and there's that. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. Vancouver so, is a perfect example of what Edmonton may have to look at. Yeah, and, you know, whether it's the chicken or the egg theory here, with Tippett relying on two or three guys, and we'll throw Darnell Nurse in there too with McDavid and Dreisaitl, by going to them so much constantly, by default, isn't uh, the rest of the team going to sit there and go, okay, uh, you don't believe in us. You believe in those three guys. And is he is he in that scenario right now? Can he get the guys back on board well, do you not do you not believe over the course of your career, and and maybe we were in comparable situations? If you saw an opportunity, like I wasn't I wasn't playing top line minutes. If I saw a guy go down, I immediately thought to myself when I was running to that rink, there's a chance. Like it's the dumb and dumber. So you're saying there's a chance, but that opportunity at least gives these guys hope to advance. I think you're right that when you have such talented guys like that. And then every single game, the same identity is shown. The same, the same look is given. The same expectation internally is presented to the team. You all, you, you do, you, you kind of settle into a role, and you don't push it. And so I, I think maybe the underdog mentality for the Edmonton Oilers has to start existing now. That that someone has to harness the the idea that okay, read the read the headlines now, listen to what's being said about you. And with that, what are you going to do? What are you individually going to do? Not, not the expectation that the two main guys, three main guys are going to pull you out of this. What are you going to do? Because there's, there's guys playing for jobs. Yeah, no doubt about that. You know, is there you a follow-up there, Kipper? Well, anywhere you want to go, because I'm going to kind of turn it around a little bit on a, on a different topic. I was going to turn it too, so just turn on yours. You go. Okay. All right. Uh, last night, of course, uh, at, at times I found – a little hard to watch the Leafs and, and the Oilers and maybe it's the lack of intensity, but we're not getting used to an empty building here. Wardo, are we? No. And I, I think it's an adjustment period for the players too, that you, you shouldn't have to. I mean, the, the God's honest truth is you should not have to find motivation in the national hockey league. The truth is we're human and there's a level of excitement. If you think about the player and fan interaction, 
in pregame, guys get pucks, guys toss them. There's people with signs. Maybe they'll st- the whole component of getting yourself prepared to perform, especially for your home crowd. There's a truth to that. But the problem is when you get to this stale, stagnant, sterile building, there is an adjustment period. So yeah, watching that game is is one thing because there's a lack of I don't know the word is continuity from from an Edmonton team that's that's now adjusting to play playing without a, a key piece. A, a Toronto team that is, that is currently feeling good about the process, and, and but yet knowing that there's still potential in, that, in that, that lineup. So as you watch the game, it was like almost a feeling out process, but it was done, again, in such a foreign environment that I think that, that, that players are going to have an adjustment period. And, and now you're going to be going back between buildings that are empty to buildings that are full, and you're going to actually like not look forward to, the, to those buildings even though they might be in great cities and great markets, playing in Montreal and Toronto in front of nobody is not exactly you, you, you hype yourself up for. Which leads me to my next point uh, uh, in regards to last night's game. I, I get the fact that everybody wants to, you know, get to know the players more or get them more involved in, in the game. So they've, they've got mics on, on certain players. But there's one play in particular where... They're lining up for a face-off, and if I'm not mistaken, Zach Hyman's mic'd with Wayne Simmons. And they 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 drop a conversation that went something like, hey, buddy, how, how's it going? Good, how are you? How, how's the wife and kids? How are things? And I'm like, I don't want to hear that. I was dying to ask you about this today. I'm so happy I you're asking. Do not. <laughs> I love I'm, it. I'm I'm pushing hard to see the level of commitment here. And I kind of feel bad, you know, you know, Wayne Simmons has been around a long time and Zach's played the game hard and they're competitive guys. But playing that clip didn't help them one bit. And Wardo, we we had a term when we played. No cutting deals out on the ice. No. Okay, so I've got a great story that applies to this. So I sat in Detroit, and in my I sat in the corner. So we had a D row, and I sat I sat beside. It went Lidstrom, Fatisov, Rouse, myself, and then I was in the corner. And so in the corner was another stall, and Ted Lindsay's stall sat there. And Ted used to talk to me all the time. So I show up after a game. We play the San Jose Sharks, and Ted wouldn't talk to me. Like legitimately would not talk to me. And and like we we got along great. So finally, I'm like, what's the deal? He goes, I'm disgusted by you. I go, what do you mean? He goes, back in the day, these teams used to be in our town, and if I saw a guy walking down the street, I would cross the street. If you thought I was going to say hi to a guy, even on the ice, I wouldn't even be on the same sidewalk as him in the same damn town. So then I started doing inventory. I'm like, oh, good Lord. Steve Shields, my roommate from college, in warm-up, apparently he and I were kind of chatting at the blue line for maybe 20 seconds. And Ted saw it. So Ted, <laughs> Ted held it against me for an entire week. Where not talking to me. So not only, not only was he pissed that I was talking to him, he was pissed at me. So that was that was my lesson. So from then on, I never was in a situation. So if I lined up at a faceoff, so let's there's an example at a penalty kill, and I was at the right hash mark, and I was up against a forward, and I knew that forward. I never talked to the player ever. Never. I. Like, oh, big deal cutter here, boys! Big deal cutter. Okay, wait, wait, wait! I got, I got. Wait, wait! I only, I only talked to one player. I only talked to one player once, 
and it was Jerome McGinley. There was a player on our team that did something really bad, and he was a former Calgary Flame, and we lined up with a face-off, and I told Jerome McGinley that he and his entire team could, could beat the crap out of this player, and we'd do nothing about it. And then I went to my D partner, and the D partner also verified with McGinley, which had that team completely confused. What the hell was going on? I got to tell you, I remember playing college against uh, David Backus and Mankato and lining up against him, and it was like talking to a Doberman, and I was desperately trying to cut deals. He was intimidating as hell, and I was like, uh, you know, so where are, we, where are we going after the game? You guys got that great bar at uh, whatever? And, like, you know, he slashed me on the top of the skate laces. It's the most intimidating thing when you're a deal cutter and the guy doesn't want to cut deals. So I, I get yeah, why you wouldn't want to see individual. a kipper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's we- grumpy. Where to, you wouldn't even go in the same bar after the game if you knew like four or five guys on the other team. Oh, were that's, there. that's not college. Oh, we hundred percent. We hundred percent left. We hundred percent left. But I think that was that was like that was just accepted. That was a norm. You you knew that. No one had to teach you like some of the on ice stuff. Guys might acknowledge and and like nod their head or say a hi, but you know, not normally back in our day was for a full fledged conversation. If you went to the bar, you absolutely left. And I think it was. There was an unwritten rule that the first people to, be, to inhabit the bar were the ones that could stay there, even if it was even if it was a, it was a, an away bar. You're the away team, and you're in the what, however it worked. You just accepted you you moved on, went elsewhere. No cutting deals on this show with you on it, Aaron Ward. Nope. Nope. <laughs> All right. Listen. Appreciate your time as always, man. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ward. Aaron Ward. Shout Sammy. out to Bob. Bobby Getford, Andrew Gordon, all the friends I made in college who were on the other team. Uh, shout out to you guys. What's up? <laughs> Sammy, where are you, buddy? I'm right here. What's up? Am I making too big of a deal out of that in 2021? No, no, I, I, I get it. But it's listen, it's the no fans thing. I know they probably would have had a quick conversation, but it's just there's no intensity in the game. He hasn't seen their friends. They played together. It just does. The game doesn't feel like it matters. He feels like he can talk to him like that. I honestly think a big part of it has to do with the empty barn. I really do. There's just no intensity. And I don't even – those conversations in a perfect world are are set up for before the game or after the game. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if if I'm Wayne Simmons, I'm pissed off at Sportsnet. There's no way – Big time. There's no way I, I want that going to air. Not to mention, it's a big detail about his personal life that we now know. Is that going to affect Wayne Simmons in the playoffs? He's got a newborn in the house. Sure affected me. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it affects him like uh, affected Fred Van Vliet, and he just gets yeah. really turns into a, like the twice the player he is. But yeah, that's, a, right, that's an uncommon a... response, Sammy. Yes, we'll take a, a, a quick uh, break here. Uh, we got Brian Lawton uh, coming up, and uh, I want to I see how many deals he's cut in his career. <laughs> <laughs> we'll ask him and so much more. You're listening to The Real Kipper and Born Show. Coming up after the break. Are we back? We are back. I, was, I wasn't I was sure if I should lead in with the intro here or not, but I didn't want to steal your thunder. No, I got unplugged. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear anybody. Hard. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I got a great story to tell you about the time I uh, my mic got unplugged uh, in the Olympics, uh, but that's that's, that's for later on maybe, and I don't want to bore put, our next I'm guest. I'm putting in the show list. <laughs> Brian Lawton, who's in, you know, lots. Uh, just before the break with Aaron Ward, we had a conversation uh, in last night's telecast. To, they mic'd up Wayne Simmons and Zach Hyman, and uh, what perceived to happen was more of a 
was in line with a dinner conversation about family and kids on the way than something that was uh, mere seconds away from puck drop. And I'm just wondering, uh, early in your career, how often would guys try to cut deals or, or it just didn't exist? I had a lot of very funny things that happened. It always seemed to happen with the tough guys in the NHL. For some reason, back when I was playing, I can remember Tiger Woods looked at me one time and said, what do you think, Lot? T- uh, Tiger I- Williams? Yeah, Tiger Williams looked at me and said, what do you think? Should I pitch hay in the summer or should I try Nautilus? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I had I had one other one where Lindy Ruff said, "Hey, Lots, I hear you're going to retire. You know, in a year or so. You know, that's great. What are you going to do?" I said, "Oh, I'm going to go back to college and finish my education." He said, "Oh, God, I'm so jealous. I'd love to do that, but I'd have to go back to the seventh grade." So how much interacting with the other team was there on the ice when you guys played? Because I, I feel like it was fairly common in, in my era, but like it was more of a faux pas when you guys played, huh? Uh, it, it, it was common. I think what's really lost that bugs me to this day is the camaraderie or the banter that went back and forth with the officials. Yeah. You don't really have that anymore. That kind of changed. I love that. I loved Ray Scampanelli and... So many of the guys, whether they are linesmen or refs, that to me I always uh, found engaging. In terms of with players, you know, there was a, you know anybody that can YouTube Brian Bellows and the Pittsburgh Penguins can find out a different kind of side of the banter that went back and forth. So it, it was all over the map. It, it ranged from funny to nonsensical to ignorant to you name it. Um, I love when they mic up guys like Wayne Simmons, though, because those are the guys that usually do have the funniest things going on. Lots, uh, another loss for the Edmonton Oilers, uh, but was it a loss good enough uh, effort-wise or at least seeing more out of the lineup that would buy Ken Holland some time to figure this thing out? Well, that's a great question. I spoke to Dave Tippett the other night, you know, just about things and to, to kind of cheer him up. It's been a rough ride for him. Uh, team hasn't played as bad as the results have been. That happens in hockey. You guys know that. You've been through it. You've seen it firsthand. Uh, for whatever reason, people always talk about Toronto and how amped up the fan base is. But that Edmonton is next level. They are just fanatical about their team out there. And uh, in my opinion, it's been a really rough stretch for the Oilers. There's no doubt about it. The record says that. But there sh- it shouldn't be to the crescendo that it's at right now. And I don't see it necessarily lightening up. And I talked about Tip with this. I said, you know, you got a game against Toronto. No Connor McDavid. They're playing great. That's going to be tough. And then you got Ottawa. And then you have like nine days off. And that is just really, really tough. No one knows what's going to happen there. But I do know one thing. Dave Tippett is one of the better coaches in this league. Uh, The Edmonton Oilers are not as bad as they've played lately. They're not as good as they started the season. And their team, it doesn't matter who's coaching it in the future, will definitely start to play better again. It's just overdue. 
it's just a matter of time. Last night you saw some good things, but they didn't have enough to get over the hump. And the hysteria continues because of that, which is part of the business. And I talked about that with Dave Tippett. He's a professional. He gets it, Kipper. He wants to win more than anybody. Um, it's tough when you're going through a stretch like they are. You know, I can't help but wonder, you know, thinking about uh, Tippett's role and, you know, the coaching job was, you know, mentioned in, in the media, is how much coaches and GMs, when the pressure starts to mount, start to do each other's job. Like, how much is a co- a GM coming in and saying, hey, we got to get this guy off this line or that guy in the power play? How much is a coach saying, hey, you got to get me someone who can kill penalties or, you know, starting to look for external blame a little bit for your own job? Is that common? Uh, in actuality, like knowing Ken Holland, he would say less rather than more now would he? than maybe usual. Yes, because he'd recognize that. Sometimes coaches will band together, and I used to have this conversation with coaches, and occasionally you'd hear, geez, we're not good here, we're no good here. And I would say, look, fellas, I hear you. Thank you for telling me. I understand that. We will try to address what we can. Please understand our job is difficult like yours. But don't forget, your job is to make them better. My job is to figure out who to have on the roster. Right. And let's not cross those lines. And I was dead serious about that, and I would always be serious about it because it's easy to have a pity party when you look around the National Hockey League as expansion you know, continues to add more teams. It does thin out you know, the ability I can remember coming in the National Hockey League and, you know, Bobby Smith, Neil Broughton, and the third-line center that I was competing with was Dennis Marouk, who had scored 60 goals <laughs> in the league before. So it, it was a different animal. That's not the case now. Now you got to pick, you know, how are you going to build your team? Are you going to have, you know, a little bit flatter, so to speak? Are you going to be like the Toronto Maple Leafs where you're top-heavy and you're you know, trying every year to try to find some diamonds in the rough. There's different directions to go, but it's very rare that you get the combination of both those things where you have stars and you have tremendous depth. We just don't see that as much as we used to, certainly when you were playing Kipper. And I don't, you know, I I look at the loss against uh, the New York Rangers lots and there's just that, that level of frustration that, just didn't really speak to Dave Tippett's uh, characteristics as a coach. And uh, you, you see no Panarin. You see uh, the backup goalie. And then you give up that first one. Um, but, you know, was it justified for Koskinen to feel like he was thrown under the bus? Or uh, is, was it just a little bit more of, of just the level of, again, the frustration from probably all sides here? I think you got to look at the totality of how it's gone and the treatment that Koskinen has got from the beginning of the year. Um, I try to look at this stuff from all directions, from the coach's perspective. I'll talk about that in a second. But from the player's perspective as well, he's making four-plus million dollars. He started almost, uh, you know, the majority of the games this year, mostly because Mike Smith has been injured. So I could see how he looks around and says, well, I'm paid like a starter. I must be a starter. His play, you know, the honest answer for me would be he's, he's played more like a backup. He's had to play more than he probably should. 
And on some occasions or some nights, it's been problematic for the team because you end up not necessarily losing the game because of him, but you lose momentum. And that's kind of what happened in the Rangers game, in my opinion. Your goalie comes out, takes a penalty, and then he makes a bad read on a dump in. And all of a sudden, a team that had a little bit of momentum deflates. Mm -hmm. I still don't think that Dave Tippett should have responded. Uh, I have no problem with coaches still being able to call out a player in public, um, but it's not the way it used to be. It's, it's, It's generally much softer than what we heard there. There's nothing wrong with telling players. Players can still take tough messages, but players today are different than players when we played. We didn't have any say. I I once had a coach tell me I needed a plane crash to get into the lineup. (laughs) To to which you can imagine I wasn't too thrilled. (laughs) So I've heard and seen it all. That society in general, though, we are much more sensitive today. Yeah, well, we'll have the fans that are listening because it's relative to Toronto. Who would have been the coach that told me that in the NHL? Because he did coach in Toronto, um, albeit maybe briefly as a head coach, but mostly uh, we'll see. That's your trivia for the rest of the day. Who would All say right. that? All <laughs> right, we'll check. Sam, you keep an eye on our uh, on our Twitter feed there. Um <laughs> Lots. I wanted to ask you about uh, rescheduling games for the NHL and your thoughts on them doing it to preserve uh, HRR, you know, pushing these Canadian teams down the road when it seems like they're healthy. Seems highly risky to me, but what are your thoughts on what they've done here? Uh, Incredible, difficult circumstances. I'm getting a lot of questions about, you know, just in general, how fair is everything? It is definitely not fair for every team. Uh, I don't know if anybody wants to acknowledge that, but I I don't believe it is. I don't think the NHL is doing anything but, you know, a a really good job of dealing with an incredibly difficult circumstance. You know, we saw Lou Lamarillo earlier in the year um, maybe biting his tongue. You know, Lou's a veteran. He's been around forever. He knows what sometimes fans don't understand, and that is that the National Hockey League – isn't doing things for the Montreal Canadiens or the Toronto Maple Leafs or the New York Rangers or the Chicago Blackhawks or any other team that you think they may favor over anybody else. They're just trying to make the best decisions they can with the information they have on a field where the goalposts are constantly moving. That's the real honest answer. Um, So is it fair? Is it going to work out? Nobody knows. The NHL definitely has an eye towards a few things. Of course, their business. Also, the business that the players are trying to recap or recoup money so that they can pay back some of the money that was basically forwarded to them to the tune of about a billion dollars. And before this year, all the models suggested that absolutely would happen. Well, as we're in January of this year, that is obviously in in jeopardy or certainly the information has changed significantly enough to cause a lot of pause by everybody involved. Are you confident that we could still get in 82 games? I am today, but the window is shrinking probably faster than people would think they're looking 
at the Olympics and saying, now we'll have all these open days and it'll be easy. If you kind of work backwards, right, I think the last day for the Stanley Cup to potentially end by the original schedule was on like June 30th, maybe. I think it was literally at the end of the month. Somebody could check that, but I'm generally pretty good on these facts. Yeah, I don't think it went into July. I think you're right. I think it was literally June 30th. So when you work backwards, you can see there's not a lot of wiggle room to try to do that. I think we're pretty tight already. I'm still confident they can find a way to get it done, but they're going to have to have some luck and some things really come together. They're going to have to have Omicron slow down as dramatically as it did in South Africa six weeks ago when they went through what we're going through. So it could happen, um, but it's a little bit of a wing and a prayer. Yeah, and obviously uh, the Canadian teams are at a bit of a disadvantage, I would say. What what are your thoughts on uh, these teams who have to play in front of no fans? Is there some sort of competitive disadvantage that I think a lot of us speculate there is? Uh, For me, yes. There is. I absolutely believe that. Um, it is what it is. It's, it, it's, it's obviously nobody's preferred method of playing the games, but you can't right. be a master to all things. You're asking me, can we play 82 games? Well, probably not because of different rules in different countries, and I won't comment one way on the other. It's none of my business what Canada does. I'm an American, in case you guys don't know. I'm kidding, (laughs) but (laughs) everybody has chosen around the world different ways to try to handle COVID. Nobody has mastered it. I don't believe anybody has any malice about what they're doing. Canada is trying to do the best things they can. It's tough. It's definitely uh, not fun and a disadvantage, in my opinion, to have no fans in your building. Well, we'll continue to hope uh, that somehow, some way this thing can... uh right itself in a very short period of time hey lots as always man thanks for uh contributing to our show my pleasure guys thanks for having me on let me know how that trivia works out i'll tweet the answer later so like uh a former uh leaf coach who called you out yeah yeah you know Uh, i went in there and i i swallowed my pride i went in there and said hey i'm not playing what do i need to do to play more uh, do I need to be here earlier? Do I need to ride the bike after? Do I need to play more physically? <laughs> he said me, a plane crash. What do I need to do? Was he, was he, he the head coach, he said, assistant coach? He was the head coach of the team. <laughs> I played on a lot of teams, so this this could take a give few me the weeks team. to figure out. But <laughs> give, me the, give me the team. Uh, it was the Hartford Whalers, a defunct team. This is a true story. There's not one word uh, of exaggeration. Head coach. Oh, only time I almost head coach. came to fisticuffs. Yes. I'm drawing a blank. With I'm going to have to dig deep. Okay, don't don't tell us. We'll we'll dig it out. I'm not. I'm not even sure. I thought for a very brief time he was a head coach. He was an assistant in Toronto. Old school guy. Also worked in Vancouver. I hope he's listening because he's probably saying, "Yeah, that's true. I did say that." <laughs> Oh, God. I was going to say Dan Maloney, but um, nope. I'll, I'll dig it. I'll, nope. I'll, we'll, we'll dig. Uh, dig. I'll tweet All the right. answer later, and you, tweet, you retweet it, Kipper. 
Former Get NHL player agent, uh, general manager, you name it, he's done it. Brian Lawton. Thanks, pal. Thanks for having me on, guys. Now, I mean, now I... coaches say that stuff behind the scenes all the time, but you don't, you don't tell the guy. Well, and I think maybe that's what we're getting out of this, that, you know, whether it's from generation to generation, I mean, it did happen. And, you know, the the tough part is I, I don't think Wayne Simmons and Zach Hyman knew. I mean, lots of stuff gets said on the ice, including maybe stuff like that. But, you know, you don't necessarily think it's going to make it public. That's all. Right. Yeah. So, hey, Sammy. Yes. Sammy. Yes. You had some fun Let's last night digging, digging up. Uh, you had some fun last night digging up uh, uh, Brendan uh, Perlini's dad's stats, didn't you? Oh my God! <laughs> that was mentioned by you Chris Cuthbert last night. Time fo- you were ha- talking about how you're having a tough time focusing on the game. I was having a tough time focusing on the game because I was laughing so hard looking at these British league stats and. I mean, I got into a wormhole here. Like, I was looking up all these teams and all this stuff. But, yeah, Brendan Perlini's dad, Fred Perlini, uh, he played in, played in Britain. And in one year, he had 226 points, um, 135 goals, 91 assists in 31 hockey games. <laughs> and he wasn't even the leading scorer. He wasn't even in the top five leading scorers in the league. So what is it? Is I it a bandy so, league? What what sport is that? I just have it so is, uh, many questions. I, I think there was two or three leagues the goal, in, like, in, in Britain. Yeah, there's three divisions. Yeah, and this was the second now, division. Was that the, that, I don't think that was the top division. No, second division. Second division. Now, okay. Was everyone issued skates in these games? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. But the thing I don't understand is. It doesn't matter the level of hockey that you play. Like, there's goalies, you know? Like, the goalie, <laughs> was it just no goalies? How do you get into a league where there's guys scoring seven points a game? It just you do. It doesn't make any sense. I, um, a, a, a good friend of mine who I trained off-season with, uh, Rick Farah. He's a okay. hockey player. His family's from Keswick. He played junior hockey, uh, Sue and uh, Kingston probably didn't play much more than 100 games. Uh, scored, I think, uh, one year in the Sioux, he had a 30-goal season, which was great, but not a huge score. He also mm. went there, and I-, I think he may have had a 250-point season in, like, 30 <laughs> games. <laughs> here's, here's the not thing, to one up. Not to one-up Fred, but Rick Farah uh, was it was in the ballpark of seven, eight points a game. But here's what really <laughs> blows my mind. Fred Perlini, in 1982, had 111 points in the OHL. He, he had almost 50 goals in the OHL. Like, that's a the real OHL. So he goes to the British League kipper at 24. 25, maybe, depending on how whatever the math worked out to be here. And then he back never then, came back. Back then, if you didn't Why make it you? in the NHL at 25, you're an old man. You were done. So, okay. They wrote you off, eh? Okay. So, like, yeah. was there not, like, a North American league? Like, maybe he just really enjoyed fish and chips? Like, he couldn't come back and play at a higher level <laughs> than the second British game. Division? Why would he come home? <laughs> he couldn't play in the first <laughs> British division? He was, over, he was overcome with confidence. 
Like, if you put me I, out there in the worst rec league in Toronto, I, just given the sheer amount of ice time you could play and goaltenders in the net, eight points a game is a it's a high bar. I don't know. I don't know. Oh. If we got a we got a great team on Sunday that's looking for players, if you want to test that theory, you can come on out and try to score eight a game. But listen, a guy tweeted at me and told me that Mike Babcock played in this in that league. He played one year with the Whitley Warriors of the BHL. Eleven and points in fifty games. <laughs> okay. He had hundred and thirty two points. He had, had thirty four goals and ninety assists in that league today. That Let's must go, be the Kipper. best league ever. Let's go. That must be the best league ever. What Jamie, do you think they'd pay us? Show. Three let's... imports per team. We take up two spots. We'll bring them publicity. We'll sell the barn out. Okay. Let's talk on well, it if, on this break. If we have... Okay. If, well, hold on. If we ever get Biz back on the show, which I've been working on for a while, he played in that league too. But he was like, a th- so apparently they love the fighters and they love like the scoring. It's like a, it's like a weird league. Maybe it's just like every hockey fan, I guess. But yeah, it's a different kind of world over there. So we can maybe get some details from him next time we have him on. Well, we got Liam McHugh after the break, uh, NHL on TNT. Maybe he can uh, track down Biz and, and we can work on that. Sound good? Sounds, Sounds good. great. All right. We got that. And Corey Hirsch also will join us. So plenty more. So stick around on the Real Kipper and Bourne Show. We're coming back right after this break.